Like I said, I'm, I'm in my 11th year here at, at church, and one of the things that has bothered me ever since I've been back in the States is the disrespect that people have for authorities. And it, it's across the board. Instead of respect, there's a tendency to, to criticize, to demean, to antagonize our authority figures. And it's very common in our society, and it's getting worse. But let me say right off the bat tonight, today, that there is wisdom in submitting to the reigning authorities. And chapter 8 will bring that out in, in clear focus for us tonight. I, I almost didn't want to tell you this story, but it, it, it bears saying it's not because it's a bad story about me, but it's humiliating. And when I was about seven years old, my brothers and I, we went over to our neighbor's house who had woods behind their house that bordered a busy road. So my two, brother, two of my brothers, myself and our two friends, we had this harebrained idea that we would sit boulders across this busy road and watch the cars and trucks bounce over them. That was smart, right? We, we watched in the, we were hiding in the woods and watching with glee as these trucks and cars would slam on their brakes and edge over these rocks until about five minutes later we heard the sirens coming and the cops came and they slammed their brakes in front of the rocks, jumped out and started chasing us through the woods. Seven years old, remember. They yelled the whole time, you kids, stop! We did. I was so scared, I started crying, and I wet my pants. I was so humiliated and scared. The first cop that came toward us as we, as we gathered in a little circle, the six of us, he said, let's book them, real mean-like. And, and as we were standing there, the other officer says, nah, I don't know, they look like nice kids, let's just have them clean up the mess. So we did. We cleaned up that mess. And, and I think it, they didn't arrest us because they didn't want my wet pants in their squad car. I think that's what it was. But needless to say, I learned a huge lesson that day that, that my respect for the police just skyrocketed. My dad was a prison guard for 27 years, and, and I have learned deep respect for our police, policemen and other authorities that are over us. Learned a huge lesson that day. You try to do stupid things, you're probably going to get caught, and it's not going to end well. So as we look through Ecclesiastes, you need to open your Bible because we are um, going to be focusing most of that. I'll have a couple other verses up on the screen. And so today as we, we get in here, we're going to break it down into four different points. Point number one is just verse one of chapter eight. Now, I wanted to read it out of the NIV because it helps us to helps clarify things a little bit, what he's trying to say. It says, who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Now, scholars, as you remember, the, the Bible did not contain chapters and verses in its original text. So this could have been closing out the, the chapter 7, the previous verses, or it was the introduction to the next section. Either way, it teaches us that, that there's benefits for people who live wisely. In the NLT translation of, of that verse, it says, How wonderful to be wise, 
to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. It's so, so important for us, as he says here, to walk in wisdom each and every day. Then you won't do some of these stupid things that I'd done and still do. As I was coming down the stairs from my office, I wanted to scare those that were putting the Lord's Supper things together, so I ran down the stairs, pounding my feet really loud like it was like I was falling down the stairs, and I was holding onto the rail while I was doing it, but then my finger got wrapped on that little brace that goes underneath there, twisted it. So if I don't shake your hand tonight, you'll understand why. It hurts, and uh, that's stupid. I didn't use wisdom. <laughs> when I came down those stairs, I was being foolish again. That stuff happens. We do that stuff all the time. But God, as, as God is showing us here, that living in this world and, and dealing with authority, and this is why he puts this verse here, it's important to walk in wisdom each and every day. Plus, as you see the second half of that verse, it brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. It puts a glow on your face. People see it, sense it. In our uh, new members class this past Sunday, one of, the, one of the candidates was sharing her testimony, and her boss walked by her, her office the very next day after she became a Christian, and he was walking by, and then he stopped and came back and said, whoa, something's different about you today. It wasn't her new hairdo. It wasn't a new hairdo. It was wisdom living out of her, wisdom being God himself, the Holy Spirit changing her. Same thing happened to me when I became a Christian. I went back to school that following Monday, and people said, whoa, Van Summeren, something weird about you. What's going on? You look different today. It's the Spirit of God that living, it changes our appearance. It's amazing what the Spirit of God will do, what wisdom will do. Walking in wisdom can do that. Well, the reason I think he put these verses here is because the next seven verses that follow, verses 2 and through that section there, through verse 9, wisdom is necessary because of what he says here. Now, before I get into point number two about wisdom submitting to governing authorities, I want to say that sometimes following the authorities that are over us is not a good idea. We see that often in the Bible, the, the midwives in Moses' time, in, Gen in Exodus chapter 1, where they were told to kill the babies, the baby boys when they were born, but they disregarded that and obeyed God instead. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told that they had, when the trumpet sounded, they had to bow down to this idol of Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't do it. Then the apostles in, in uh, Acts chapter 4 were told, Leave here and never share that, never talk about Jesus, this Jesus again. Did they obey that? No, they didn't. They went out and continued teaching the Word of God. Now, in all these incidences that we see of people going against authority, the thing I found interesting is that not in any of these cases did they take up arms against a corrupt government. They just quietly did what God wanted them to do, they obeyed God and suffered the consequences of their obedience. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tied and thrown into a fiery furnace, but we know what happened. God watched over them, and so on and so forth. They didn't take arms up against the corrupt. They obeyed and suffered the consequences. Like in the video that we just saw from Pakistan, these people did not take up arms against the corrupt government. They obeyed quietly, and God blessed them. They found joy through their suffering and able to worship God in a way that today, if you had to clean out those sewers the way they did, I, would, I, I don't know if I could do that. But if I was in that situation, God would give me the grace to be able to handle it and to be able to do that. So point number two, submitting to the governing authorities. So the main thought here is that it is wise course of action to obey the authorities that are over us. We pledge allegiance to our country every time we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. We pledge justice for all. We pledge ourselves to this country and to the liberties that it stands for. We do that a lot, and that's what he's saying here in these verses. We have authority over us that people we think have elected themselves, that we have elected. We think we elect people. But we see in Scripture very clear that God is the one who puts authority in power. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Jesus, when he was before Pilate, just before he was crucified, and Pilate said, you know I have the authority to release you. And he said, what did Jesus say? You have no authority over me unless it be given you from above. In John 19, 11. You may not like our past authorities, our past president, our current president, whatever. You might not like them. But I wouldn't be too quick to go against them. Because God has the one who's put them in place. We need to pray for them. No matter if we like them or not. And I have to rebuke myself sometimes that I have said some things about leadership in our country. That, that as, I, as I read this, I'm rebuked that I talk that way. It says that we need to keep respect. So in verse, chap, verse 2 and 3, follow along, it says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. What he's saying there is if you read the NIV, it says, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Like I said earlier, we did the same thing. We took an oath to our country, to our flag, one nation under God. We pledge allegiance to it. He goes on in, in, in verse 2, he says, But be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Leaders do that. They, they're going to do what they think is best, what he or she wants. Well, look what happened in Tiananmen Square Back in 1989, 
when a group of students went up against the liberal communist government. The supreme commander, he sent tanks in there, and a bunch of students were killed because they took up and rebelled against that. The ruler is going to do what he or she thinks, or if anyone tries to take authority away from them, they're going to do whatever it takes to suppress that. That's their job. That's their role as leader. They have to lead the way they think is best. Sometimes it's corrupt. Sometimes it's good. But we are told to submit to them in that. A prime, a, a, um, on the other hand, as you see these students rebelling in China, on the other hand, you have the underground church in China who are following the rules of the country, but yet they cannot submit to this atheistic government that they're under. So they secretly meet. And you know what's happening? This underground church in China is probably the fastest growing church body of believers in the world. They're following God until it gets to the point where what the government is saying is contrary, but they're not rebelling and taking up arms. They're secretly, they're silently doing what is. And many of them, many of these pastors have been put in prison and tortured and suffered for the name of Christ. But yet, it doesn't go away. The church just keeps growing. That's the amazing thing. As we submit to our authorities and submit to God first, he blesses through that. It's amazing. Daniel's a, a prime example of that. When we look at the life of Daniel, he was just a, a young, young boy. But as he got older, the king, they, they made up this law. They said, the only person you can pray to is the king. Daniel didn't do that. He just went about his normal routine of praying by his window and it ended up him being thrown into the lion's den, but then God walked with him through that, and none of the lions touched him. He just kept continuing to pray to this almighty king. So as we look at verses six, 5 and 6, this is pretty interesting. It gets interesting here. It says, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him. Now one thing we need to remember as we look at through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that these are what they call wisdom literature. And so the genre like this, it describes the way things usually occur. They should happen this way. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This is the ideal. This is what this wisdom literature does, but it's not describing how every situation and every scenario that's available under the sun. In other words, we know that most of the time when we obey the authorities our life, in our life that things will go well, and that we might even have an opportunity to help change the course of the government. As we look back at Daniel, he was kidnapped. They were taken into um, captivity. As a young man, he was selected to be in the king's educational program and do all these things. And, and he found favor with those that were over him. 
And when they tried to bring all the king's rich foods and, and all these things, he said, mm, let's do a test. Let me eat the way that I'm used to eating. And after three months or whatever, however long it was, he said, let's look. And if I am unhealthy, I'll eat that. But if I am continuing to be strong and keeping myself in shape, then, then I can do that. And he found favor, and, they, and he did it. And he was able to change the course of action because he submitted, but did it in a wise way. This is what happens is, but later we see him where he obeyed, where he disobeyed again, and he ended up in the lion's den. It seems like it goes both ways. First time he found favor by obeying, the second time he was, found, he was thrown in the lion's den, but yet he found favor with God, and God protected him through that whole thing. It's pretty interesting when you look at that. Well, in verses 7 through 9, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. There is no discharge of war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. To sum these verses up here, he's basically saying, you know what, God is sovereign. We cannot control the end of days. We can't control what other people do, but God can. God is in control. As we submit to authority, as we respect them, as we pray for them, God is able to move. As we see in, in Psalm 139 about this sovereignty, it says, You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had even passed. God knew all that. God knows who's going to be our next president, who's going to be our next Supreme Court justice. God knows all this, and he's, he's up there watching this, and we need to submit to that and allow God to do his work. Nebuchadnezzar said of God after he was restored to health. In Daniel chapter 4, he said, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. Amen? That's what he says. Well, I want to skip that next section and come back to that in a few minutes. So look down at um, verses 14 to 17. And this is point number three, that man cannot know God's ways. Man cannot know God's ways. So if we look at those verses, it says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that, that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has, has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through, all the, through his days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So although 
we pray often for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In reality, that doesn't happen the way we think it should, right? We, we, we have our own thoughts. Bad things happen to good people, that's what it says here, and good things happen to bad people. That's the way the world works. Solomon reminds us that in this, these verses that to enjoy the simple things of life, our food and our friends, if we can learn to be content with what he gives us, then we're going to find, we're going to learn to be content and we're going to find joy in serving, serving the king of kings as we saw in this video. These people had joy. You saw them worshiping in, in their services. You see how that they come home, they love their families, but yet they are doing these menial tasks that we would think are far below us. And here they are. Some of them have probably been educated in colleges and stuff. I was talking to somebody yesterday who, um, they, were, they were lawyers and things in their country, but yet they, when persecution came because of their faith, they were sent to be garbage men or to be house slaves or whatever. But yet they found joy and contentment, and that's what, that's what Solomon is saying here because we, we, he says, I commend joy for, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life. That'll go with us as we study, as we, as we learn to be content with what God brings about in our life, and, and we begin to live this life that, that of peace that people can't understand. Those leaders in Pakistan, they, they, they see these people that they're torturing, basically, giving them minimum wage and, and barely able to make things by, but yet they see them having joy. They see them worshiping God in, in, in the midst of this situation. Solomon goes on to say that he pursues wisdom, he pursued wisdom throughout his life. But he came to the realization that life is far too complex for any human to figure out how all these parts fit together. This is what he says. He says, when I applied in verse 16 and 17, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness, the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do eyes see sleep? Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. What he's saying here basically is I had to write a, I had to write a paper when I first came here and it was my doctrinal statement. It's my thing. In order to be ordained, I had to write this thing. It's 21 pages long, and it covered all these different doctrines, the doctrine of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of, of baptism, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of spiritual gifts, and so on. Well, when it came to the doctrine of eschatology or the study of end times, I started this portion out something, something like this. If my ordination is based on my understanding of end times, then you might as well fire me right now. There are many respected scholars who know much more than I do and seem to have biblical backing to support their views, 
yet they differ. They differ on the pre-trib rapture, the mid-trib rapture, the post-trib rapture, the amillennial, premillennial, all these things that scholars differ on. That they're much smarter than I am, and they think that I'm supposed to understand all this. Do you, does everybody understand what I'm even talking about? <laughs> it's right. It's 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 just it's just beyond us because we are what finite creatures. God is infinite. God, even Pastor Tim last week talked about that, that there's doctrines that, that we hold to that are non-negotiables. It's important for us to hold fast to those. They're very clear in the Bible what these are. The non-negotiables are that, that salvation is in, by faith in Christ alone, that Jesus was born of a virgin. He's coming back one of these days and so on and so forth, that we hold these things to be truth, and they're non-negotiables. We don't waver on those. But there's other things that Solomon's saying. How do we think that we can understand? A man, a wise man claims to know, but he can't find it out. He can't know for sure. There's other things that people fight over in the church because I'm this type. I'm... Like, they did it in the New Testament. They said, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Calvin. I'm of Arminian. We have those same battles that are going on in, in our churches that have split churches because of these non-essential things. So we have this, this saying that we have in the EFCA church worldwide. It says it has the in, in essentials, these core truths that we believe, we have unity in the non-essentials, these other things that are not truly clear, is it okay to have a, a glass of wine or do I need to totally abstain? Can I go to a movie? Can I play cards? Can I do... These are those non-essential things that we have to decide in our heart whether they're going to affect our walk with God or not. These non-essential things, we need to display liberty not judge other people based on these things that are not laid out in the Bible. When it says, thou shalt not put any corruption before your eyes, that's pretty clear. I'm not going to go watch a porno movie. That would be totally against what God stands for. But for me to go watch a movie um, about Zantini, who was, was in the war, and, and things like that, I don't have a problem with that. There's other things that, that I'm, I won't get into, but there's a lot of things that are these non-essentials that we have to display liberty. And finally, he says, in all things, charity. So he says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. That through all these things, we love each other. How that's brought out is in the New Testament, when in the book of Romans, Paul says something. And this one author, I want to quote what he says. He says, tensions arising from diversity of belief and practice among Christians are already apparent in the pages of the New Testament and remain with us today. There was apparently a thriving vegetarian faction within the church at Rome. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. There was also a difference among them about whether certain days were to be honored. So quoting, he says, how do we live with such difference among us? Paul says, 
As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So such a person is to be welcomed, says Paul, and not just welcomed for the purpose of quarreling with him over his views. Love for such a person, weak in the faith though he is, must continue. Do you understand what he's trying to say? He said, these things, if somebody, like I have a friend who is a very um, staunch Democrat. He's having conniptions of what, what President Trump is doing. And so I like to bait him once in a while, not debate him, but bait him and, uh, and go around and around with him because he gets all worked up and things like that. And I, so I, I take the other side just to, just to hassle him a little bit. But he said, I know we don't view the same way, but that president of ours, and he goes on and on. Well, I still love this guy, and we're friends. We can hang out together. I'm accepting him and these non-essential things. I'm, I'm loving on him and, and all things charity. So we find unity in the essential things, non-essentials. We show liberty, but in everything we show love and, and grace. Point number four is, is what is the end game? The end game. What's going to happen? I want to jump back to the previous verses that I skipped over, verses uh, 10 through 13 there. And I want you to be encouraged because this sort of sums up everything that, that, that we've been talking about. And he says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not ex ex executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. See that? Because they don't see this punishment right away, then their heart is just going forward to do more. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well for the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So in the last couple minutes that I have, I want to look at just one verse, verse 12, where it says, Though sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. When I look around at what's happening in our world today, I see many times that evil people are prospering. They're honored and praised for their, their life, their, that the life that they're living. We see it. I mean, you could just, people are coming to your mind as you think about that. How can this be? These people who are not living a good life are being praised for the, what they're doing. On the other hand, there are people who strive to live righteously, who try to do the right thing, but yet people are making up all kinds of lies about them and and they, they try to discredit them and make them out to be the bad person. We see that just recently in our Supreme Court nomination. All these stories that were made up about him. They tried to discredit him. He was a man who was trying to do the right thing. So why is this? Why does this happen? It's very simple. Satan. 
is the prince and power of the air. He is, he wants nothing more than to thwart all that God is trying to do. What God is accomplishing in our life, he's trying to destroy it. The problem, it appears at times, is that he's winning, doesn't it? Sometimes it appears that he's winning. At least that's what he thinks. The end, this is it. We've already won. We have already won. The victory is the Lord's, and we get the privilege of being a part of it, to stand with him. Once you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. When the world comes against us, Satan has no power over us. What's the, what's the worst he can do? Kill us. What will that do? That will get us to glory a little bit quicker and we can enjoy eternity a little faster. What is it that Dave says? He says he's wasting heaven time down here on earth. It's true. We want to live so long. Matthew preached a message a couple weeks ago about that, to be prepared for it and not to fear death because we have a hope. We have a future. We have nothing to be afraid of. We will win. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity. It will be worth every minute that we spent in service to our king. It'll be worth it. There'll be no regrets. How many of you would join a team that you know is a winner, that will win? If you know, if you could tell the future and you knew that the, let's make up a team, the Detroit Lions, uh, <laughs> we're going to win the Super Bowl this year, you'd want to be a part of that. Why are there so many Yankee fans around here than Philly fans? Because they have deeper pockets in New York and they can buy all these good players that the Phillies can't afford and they can put these winning teams together. Who doesn't? Well, that's why we got so many people. They want to be on supporting the winning team, all right? Well, that's where we are. We are on the winning team. I read the end. If you read through there, we won. Satan just doesn't know it yet. He probably does, but he's trying to get everybody to fall with him. As believers, we are on the winning team. And like I said a few minutes ago, it appears at times that we're losing the battles. But we've already won the war. Christ defeated death. And we are part of him. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We will experience disrespect from people. People are going to try and, and discredit you. We will suffer and face trials and, and persecutions as time marches on. It's going to get worse. We even may lose our job because of our faith, or at least a promotion be looked over because of our faith. But as we look at Romans 8, 37, it says that in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. 
So what do we, what do we learn today? What, is it, what are the three things I, I want you to take home with you? First of all, start treating, as he says in the first part of chapter 8, start treating the authorities over us with respect, even if you don't agree with them, remembering that God has put them in that position. The election is next Tuesday, and people are going to be, you know, you hear all these horror stories of, of gloom and doom if you don't get out and vote, that this is going to happen. Our president is going to take control of everything. And then the other side says, if you don't get out and vote, then, then, then uh, you know, all these other things are going to take place. You know, they have all this gloom and doom and threatening people. No, God's in control. God knows who's going to be in there. And it's somebody that we're going to need. If it's somebody that's bad, like they had with Nebuchadnezzar and all these people that were bad, God raised them up. To bring what? Judgment against his own people. Might be what our country needs. Number two is that when we come to Jesus, we need to come with a childlike faith. Realizing the fact that we need to just trust and believe his word. All of it. Not just taking this little pet doctrine out and, and this little thought out and not talking about this because it doesn't go along with my belief system. No, we need to just, whatever the Word of God says, we need to trust that, that He knows what He's saying. We come to Him with a childlike faith, because you, you have a child, and, and they believe. I told my, my grandchildren, I had a, um, a growth, a, what do you call it, a cyst, right here, and I had one on my back, straight across from it. And so the doctor took them out, and there's a scar right here, and I tell my grandkids that's where I got shot, and it came out the back. And uh, they believed me at first. I told, I told them the truth. But we need to come to God like that. As we follow, as we read his word, if it says that take up your cross daily and follow me, we need to obey that. If it says suffer the little children to come unto me, it said we need to take care of the children and, and, and do all these things that, that he's saying in his word instead of just compartmentalize, say, I want this, I don't want that. That's what Solomon is saying is when you come to God, we don't have a corner on, on the doctrine and truth. We just need to believe what the Bible says. And lastly is that we have a hope and a future in Christ. The war has been won. I read the ending and we win. So let's walk in that hope, believing his word and allowing him to strengthen us, to build us up in our faith and carry us through all these tough times that we're going to be facing. Amen?